All right, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. The story of the resurrection of Jesus. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus rises from the dead. An account from Mary and Mary. Today is all about resurrection, all about the celebration of Jesus conquering death. We believe this is something that's foundational for us as followers of Jesus, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. The old German theologian Jürgen Moltmann said that Christian faith is resurrection faith, or it cannot be Christian faith any longer. Everything that we do, everything that we believe, hinges on this act of resurrection. That Jesus rose from the dead, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is quite the statement from Jürgen Moltmann, if you know this German theologian's story. Jürgen Moltmann fought in World War II for the Nazis. Jürgen Moltmann grew up not a Christian, and in World War II was captured by the British, was sent to prisoner of war camp in, in Belgium, then over into England, up into Scotland. Had a lot of time to kind of think to himself, wasn't sure if he was going to survive. After World War II, was horrified at certain things that he saw that the Germans had done, the destruction of Europe, the Holocaust, Auschwitz, all of these things that come up. As Jürgen Moltmann thought about the world that he was living in and what was going on, he had realized that some of the books that he had took with him to war by Nietzsche, by Gotti, all these famous philosophers, none of them brought him comfort in the midst of the darkness that he experienced. While he was a prisoner of war, there was a U.S. Army chaplain who gave him a Bible, a New Testament, the book of Psalms. Moltmann started to read. Moltmann, as he read through this story and, the, and came across the story of resurrection, something came into his life called hope. He believed that there was a possible future, a future that was something that this world was heading somewhere, but, somewhere, but a, a future that everything that was dark and evil could be redeemed. Moltmann would say the statement that Christian faith is resurrection faith, or it cannot be faith any longer. Because Moltmann experienced some of the dark, darkest nights that you can experience in the human experience. Moltmann said that this isn't just something that's metaphor uh, 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 to make us nicer people. This is something that transforms the human condition. When you've experienced the darkness that he has experienced, when you've seen the most evil things that can happen in humanity, his hope is that God just doesn't come to make us nice people. God comes to transform the dead. 
evil is destroyed. The curse of sin is broken. This is something much stronger than just feel good. This is something powerful. The resurrection, everything in our faith hinges on this idea that God has not given up on this world, but is transforming it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Something that we have to come to is a point of, of faith, a crisis of whether or not we believe this. What, what is it about this resurrection of Jesus that you could rise from the dead? Is that something that we actually buy into? Or is it just simply a metaphor? Is it something that is transformative? In Keller's book, The Reason for God, he talks about why he has put his faith in this idea that, that Christ rose from the dead. One of the first things that he would argue is that the eyewitnesses that experienced the resurrection, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the first to see Jesus rising from the dead. These gospel accounts that we have tell the story of Jesus rising from the dead, but one of the earliest manuscripts of someone writing about this was actually found in one of the letters of Paul, Paul the Apostle, Paul whose life was transformed very similar to Jürgen Moltmann. And Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, and he writes these words in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 8. He says this, For what I received I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, and at last he appeared to me. Paul's telling this story, and this isn't written a generation after Jesus. This is written within, this is, this is written shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. Some would say probably 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. My wife and I, Marcy, my wife Marcy and I, uh, are about to celebrate 15 years of marriage this summer. Um, yes, it's been pretty exciting. Uh, 15 years ago, we had a wedding. There were some people in this room that were there. You witnessed it. You experienced it. You remember what that wedding was like. You would say that it really happens because you were there. Fifteen years ago was a wedding. For these people who are witnesses that are writing about this event that took place, they're saying this isn't just a nice story. It's not just, this is an event that actually happens and we were there. Jesus rose from the dead. And over 500 people experienced the resurrection. As Paul is writing this, he's saying, what I have received, I am passing on to you. This isn't just a nice metaphor. This is an actual event that has taken place. People witnessed it. They experienced it. They remember the details of this miraculous event. The second thing that Keller would argue is that the martyrs and the persecution of these witnesses not only did they say that they believed that they, they witnessed this event of resurrection, but it changed them. They were willing to say, no matter what you say about me, no matter how you treat me, because of this that I have experienced, I'm not going to budge. This is what I believe. They would argue that uh, if it was a lie, if it was a myth, if it was just simply a metaphor, would these people truly give their lives up for such a truth? I mean, how far would you take such a truth once you were tortured? At what point would you say, nope, it's not worth it? It's uh, Pascal, I think, who says, I believe the witnesses that get their throats cut, those that were willing to die for this message, wasn't just something that 
they thought was a nice story. They said, no, it really happened. It's true. What's amazing is that Paul was one who would persecute these witnesses. And at this moment where Jesus appears to him and his transformation comes, he not only goes through persecution because of this experience, but he gives up a position of privilege where he had the power. He was the persecutor and lays that all down because he believes that this really happens. The martyrs, those who were persecuted, were willing to die for this truth that Jesus rose from the dead. The third thing that is significant about the story is that the very first witnesses were women. Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary tell this story. And I think what's interesting about this is that as God reveals Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the first person that runs into him is this woman. And if you remember kind of 2,000 years ago in society where women stood in society, uh, you would think that maybe Jesus would want to appear to someone who is super influential, super credible, Yet he appears to these women. The women are the first evangelists, the first to tell this story. In a world that's dominated by men, you would think maybe even the gospel writers would want to change this detail. Maybe the more credible, influential source was the first to see them, but they don't. There's something about this. The women tell the story of the resurrected Jesus. I think this tells us something about what Jesus thinks as he empowers women with this message, but also the fact that it really happened. The details aren't changed. Someone who wouldn't have a ton of influence in society is the first to witness this resurrected Christ. It would be too problematic, and yet they keep this detail in there. Mary is the first to tell this story. And then finally, the resurrection. Something that I believe because of the explosion of the early church. There's a couple hundred of us gathered here today, some 2,000 years later, on the other side of the globe because of this event that took place. When you think of how the church starts and how it grows in the first century throughout the Roman Empire, it's explosive growth. They don't have a military. They don't have wealth. These are common people who have completely bought in, believed, had their lives changed by this fact of resurrection. Their lives have been changed, and so they are giving their life to this cause, that's something that is bigger than themselves, that Jesus has rose from the dead. He is risen. If everything hinges on this idea of resurrection, here's why it's important. Without the resurrected Christ, we approach life with the expectation of death. This is the Christian hope that there is life after death, that death doesn't have the final word. With the resurrected Christ, we approach death with the expectation of life. There's hope. Without the resurrected Christ, we approach life with the expectation of death. And with the resurrected Christ, we approach death with the expectation of life. Therefore, how we live matters. What we do matters. We are in touch with the eternal God, with eternal life. Everything that we do is something that is a part of the story. The things that we create, beauty, art, work, our business deals, relationships, marriage, family, the dreams, they're all lived through the lens of this resurrection, the Christian hope. That this world that we see, that this isn't all that there is. There's something more that we are a part of. Resurrection allows us to live a life that points to something that is transcendent. 
the transcendence of God, the transcendence of this community, the church, the sacred community. Last week, we all watched uh, as Notre Dame burned. I don't think anyone was able to go through last week without seeing what had happened uh, with that beautiful cathedral that burned to the ground. Really hope that's not a fire alarm. (laughs) It's not, okay. But we all watched as Notre Dame burned. And what was amazing and what really caught my attention is how many people have visited it. I mean, Facebook, everyone has pictures in front of it. I'm thinking, what have I been doing? Why have I not gone and seen this beautiful thing? But for so many people, it moved them in a way because this was something that was beautiful and sacred. This was something that pointed to something beyond itself. This was something that that kept us in touch with something that was transcendent. These beautiful cathedrals in Europe pointed to another world. There was something holy and sacred about these places. There's something holy and sacred about the community that would gather there for over 800 years, different people, but that space was unique. I think that the church is more than a building. It's more than just a space. It is people, but there's something beautiful about that space. There was some sustainability there that over eight centuries, these followers of Jesus that proclaimed resurrection gathered in a space like that. There was something, being a part of gathering there that puts you in touch with the transcendent, the God who is bigger than all of us, that attaches us to this story that is eternal. This church community that we have a local expression of here, but there's something historic and global about these resurrected people, the people of the resurrection, God's church. When I was thinking about these acts of beauty and arts, these sacred spaces, these things that allow us to be in touch with the transcendent. I thought about Desert City, this church, to be a part of it. What a great group of people who gather here each week. Something that's been going on for four years, something that started uh, in a living room with 12 people. We would gather together on Sunday night. We had an event called Bread and Wine. We'd, We'd come together, we would take communion, and we would pray for this community. And to see it grow over the last four years has been such a joy and a blessing. This work that God is doing here, there's something sacred that is happening, even here in a cafeteria. We have great plans, great hopes uh, for our future in the sacred community. One of the things that uh, we've come to now, this place as a church plant, is that I would say that we're, we have a foundation laid where we are no longer just a church plant. We've been around for four and a half years. In that time, we've become sustainable. In that time, we've been able to come, uh, we've had financial margin. We've been able to start doing great different mission projects around the city, around the world. Community has formed here. And I feel that it is time now that we are no longer just a church plant. We're a church. Desert City, the church in Desert Ridge. At this time, as the leadership has kind of considered what we're doing, one of the things that has come up is we're worried about cafeteria fatigue. (laughs) This was a term that Darren brought up, and I'm like, I've never heard about that before. (laughs) Cafeteria fatigue. We feel like that at this time, as we have been able to establish this 
community, this foundation, this culture, it's time to start taking our next steps as a church. This year, as we head into year five, we feel like we're at a place where we can finally start saying, what's next for us? How do we continue to, to, to keep the culture of, of, of who we are relationally, but say that we are here to stay? So over the next uh, six months, as we move into year five, we're looking at those next steps. We've had uh, a couple different locations that have come up that we've looked at that we've been excited about. And we think that it's time that we start opening up a fund for a capital campaign. And I say that not to say we know what we're doing yet, but we know that it's time to start moving towards that direction with vision. We're not sure what we need yet, but it's coming soon, and we're excited about it. We're not going to build the Notre Dame Cathedral <laughs> or something elaborate like that. But we want to be here long term. We want to find something that would be for the community, something that would be simple and sacred of who we are. But that's coming, and we're excited. This Easter, we turn a corner, our fourth Easter together, four and a half years as a church community, and it's time to say, we're no longer just a church plant. We're a church, and we're here to stay. More details coming on that. <laughs> yes, you can hear for that. The second thing that I think resurrection does for us is it, if it points to the transcendent, it also does something where it takes pain and it redeems it, and it takes brokenness and it redeems it. The resurrected people, Easter people that believe in this power of the resurrection, the things that we experience in this life, we know that God is at work in our community. And this has been an extremely difficult year for a lot of people in this church. What resurrection does is it takes death, sickness, disease, broken relationships, and says there is healing here for that. When I think about this last year for the church, it was a year where the church has grown greatly, and that's been exciting. But for many individuals and families, it's been a really challenging year. I think there's something about spiritual warfare that takes place when a new church is being birthed. So not to say that if you're a part of this, you're going to be attacked by the evil one, that that might happen. This year, people in the church have experienced death of family members, close loved ones. Some of those deaths were sudden. Some of them were from long suffering. Uh, we've experienced um, marriages that have fallen apart, marriages that are falling apart right now. We've experienced loneliness even in the midst of a community. Uh, as the church has grown, this has become a place where you can actually hide. People have experienced uh, illnesses, being diagnosed with sickness that could be life-threatening or life-altering. People have made decisions that have blown up relationships. People have experienced changing in jobs, dreams that have been crushed. It's been a hard year. A lot of us have felt uh, the brokenness of the world that we live in very, very powerfully this year. There's something very strong about the pain and the ache of the creation that we live in. And then all these experiences of pain, of broken dreams, of broken relationships remind us that this place needs healing. This place needs resurrection. Maybe you've experienced that this year. When I was reading about the resurrection, and I was trying to read about something really deep, right before I got up to preach, someone said, well, it's the same story every year. And I was like, yes, I know it is. And I, but I have to give something new, and I have to give something fresh or say something deep. 
The story of resurrection is a story that we come to every year. And as I was reading about it this year in my children's book, uh, children's Bible that our kids read, the Jesus Storybook Bible, I read the story of the resurrection. And it was something that was written for children that I thought was so incredibly powerful. And when we consider the brokenness of this world and the aches that we have felt this year, the things that have been so painful that we've gone through, I can't help to think that this storytelling of the resurrection found in the Jesus Storybook would bring peace and hope today. And I want to read it and close with this. The story is called God's Wonderful Surprise, read in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It says Jesus' friends were sad. They knew they would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king God had promised. It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake, an angel from heaven. And when the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away and sat on top of it and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other woman headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked along the hilly path, quietly along the hilly path, through the olive groves until they reached the tomb and immediately noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb, and Jesus' body was gone. And something else, a shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked, what are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again, and their hearts leapt. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had woken from a nightmare. The other woman rushed home. But Mary stayed behind. How could it be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? And just then Mary heard something else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he had found her. Mary, only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure, and she shaded her eyes to see and thought she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing. Jesus, Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes, and great sobs shook her whole body. And all she wanted in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Mary, Jesus said, and always be close to me, but now go and tell others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in all her life. She felt she could run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning, as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew. Almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, the tiny sounds of the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he even making death 
come untrue. She couldn't wait to tell her friends, to tell, couldn't wait to tell Jesus, Jesus' friends. And then Jesus said, tell them that I love them so much that I died for them. It's the truth that overcomes the terrible lie. God loves his children. Yes, he really does. And suddenly the whole sky was filled with a dazzling light. This Easter, with whatever we've experienced this year as a church, the joys, the pain, what you've experienced in your own life, in your own family, in your own relationships, all the sad things come untrue. The resurrection of Jesus. The lie of who we are as humans is undone. God loves us, and he loves us so much that he dies for us, that he conquers sin, that he conquers death on the cross, that he rises in resurrection. This is the story that we're a part of, the story that we believe and proclaim that there is life eternal found in Jesus. Today, we invite you to the table. We do something here that is sacred as a church. We take this thing called communion, the Eucharist, the elements. Today, we invite you to this table. It represents the story of our God who loved us so much that he came into this world, that he broke his body on the cross. We take a piece of bread that represents this body that was broken. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, that washes away all the things that make us sad, all of the things that are wrong. And as we take this, we remember God's love and we proclaim it. Today, we invite you to the table. Maybe you've never come to the table before. We believe that when you enter into the relationship with Jesus, you're invited to the table. Maybe you need to return to the table today, being reminded of the power of the resurrection and how that changes everything. Maybe you need to just come today to give thanks and to proclaim. Tim's going to come back up here and the band's going to close us with a time of reflection. We have communion set up on both sides of the room. When you're ready to move to communion, feel free to do so on your own time. And we'll spend time praying and singing, and then I'll close this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, for the story of resurrection, Lord, that you take all of the sad things, the broken things of this world, and you fix them. Lord, we're so grateful for the story of your love. Lord, we'd ask that today we would be reminded of the power of the resurrection. It would just be something that makes sense in our head, Lord, but that we would experience it in our heart. We would experience it in our lives. We would experience it in everything that we do. That we would travel through this life differently because of it. So we give you this time, Lord. We come to your table. We say thank you. We come to your table and we say, Lord, change us. Lord, that this would be something that alters eternity. We give you this time, Lord. We ask that we'd experience your resurrected spirit today. In your son's name we pray. Amen.